0: The reading is from Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 49. It's in two parts. First part, Jesus, the cause of division. I came to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism to receive, and how distressed I am until it is over. Do you suppose that I came to bring peace to the world? No, not peace, but division. From now on, a family of five will be divided, three against two and two against three. Fathers will be against their sons and sons against their fathers. Mothers will be against their daughters and daughters against their mothers. Mothers-in-law will be against their daughters-in-law, and daughters-in-law against their mothers-in-law. Understanding the time. Jesus said also to the people, when you see a cloud coming up in the west, at once you say that it is going to rain, and it does. And when you feel the south wind blowing, you say that it is going to get hot. And it does. Hypocrites, you can look at the earth and the sky and predict the weather. Why then don't you know the meaning of this present time? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. Morning, everybody. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I really do believe that the message that you've given me to bring this morning is the right message for the congregation and for me to hear today. So I just pray that the words that I am speaking come from you and not from me, and that we have receptive hearts here today to hear what you want us to hear. Amen. 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 So... This morning, I want to talk to you about the story of our lives. And what a better way to start than Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time. We all know the stories that start Once Upon a Time. And they have various characters up there. I'm sure some of you will recognize them. We have stories that start Once Upon a Time. There was a young girl called Cinderella or Red Riding Hood, or Snow White, or Rapunzel. Or perhaps even still as we read the story or watch the film with bated breath, we're wondering what's going to happen. The main characters undergo a really tough life, with a wicked witch trying to do away with them, with a sharp needle, or an apple, or they're locked in a tower, or made to do all the housework, etc., for a wicked stepmother. However, most of these stories end with the handsome prince, in the middle there, (laughs) saving the day and the lines, they all lived happily ever after. For those women amongst us, do you remember Mills and Boons? Barbara Cartland, the silhouette romances. They all have roughly the same story. Boy meets girl, boy likes girl, girl doesn't like boy. Boy does something amazing, girl falls in love with the boy, and then they all live happily ever after. We're all comfortable with these fairy tales and these slushy romances, because even though the characters are going through some hard times and there are arguments, suffering and unfairness, we know in the end that everything's going to turn out all right. All will be well with the world. So how does this fit in with today's passage? Well, let's put it into context slightly. Jesus has been travelling around with the disciples to different places. He's been performing miracles and he's been teaching about the kingdom of God. In a way, he's been telling his great story. But what was the Jewish understanding of Jesus, the Messiah's role? He was the person who'd been referred to back in the Old Testament, in stories that have been handed down from generation to generation, and they'd learned about him while they were growing up. They'd anticipated his coming. The Jews were living under Roman rule, and they weren't happy at all with this. They were having to follow the Roman laws, and they were having to worship the emperor. But they were the chosen people, and it was their belief that Jesus had come to release them them, the Jews, from all of this. Jesus was going to sort it out just like that. The coming of the Messiah was going to bring peace. After all, this is what the angels had said to the shepherds just after the birth of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. And as God's chosen people, the Jews believed that God was pleased with them. This was their right. So in their eyes, the story they had been told would also end with them living happily ever after. They were just waiting for their happy ending. If we read a bit further, we can sense Jesus' frustration with the people. You hypocrites, he calls them, when discussing their blindness to seeing what was actually happening. These people were mainly farmers. They were reliant on the weather to achieve a good crop. So they could look out their window in the morning and, all depending on the sky, they could work out whether it was going to rain or whether the sun was going to shine, whether it was going to be the right weather for their crops to grow. But when it came to the coming of the kingdom, they were oblivious to the signs. No wonder Jesus felt so frustrated. They weren't understanding the story he was telling them at all. They just didn't realize the seriousness of what was to come. Jesus talks about two main things here. Firstly, in his talk of having a baptism to undergo, he's talking about what he knows he has to go through, his imminent fate. As far as the people were concerned, everything was going to be rosy and Jesus was going to be their new ruler. But Jesus knew this wasn't the full story. He knew that his coming crucifixion was going to cause him both intense physical pain but also he was going to be separated from God, his father, at that moment. And for a time, he was going to be totally on his own, a really painful experience. The second thing Jesus talked about was the fire that he was wishing had been kindled already in the world. And this fire was the word of God. And in a way, Jesus was upset that the word was taking so long to spread. There were sparks and flickers, but the actual fire had still not started to burn. The word he had brought was taking a long time to spread from person to person It hadn't taken hold yet, and this is what he was hoping for. But he also knew the consequences of the spreading of this word. It wasn't going to bring peace. No, it might be totally the opposite. Conflict and discord would arise for those that were believing in him. Fathers would be against their sons, mothers against their daughters, sisters against their brothers, husbands against wives. Believing in him wasn't going to necessarily be an easy thing, as close relationships were in danger of being torn apart, with one person choosing to believe in Jesus and the other choosing not to. Jesus demanded loyalty and commitment. He didn't want middle ground. And that was nearly 2,000 years ago. And I don't think things have changed that much over time. Over the ages, there have been countless martyrs who have died for their beliefs in God. Some of the most well known were the apostles, including Paul, Stephen, and Andrew. Then there's Thomas Becket, Joan of Arc, countless missionaries in Japan, Africa, South America. And even today, there are often stories in the news of people who have been killed for their beliefs, which they have refused to refute. And if that isn't discord and conflict, then I don't know what is. Countless wars have been fought over religion, including Christianity. Look at Northern Ireland with the Protestants and the Catholics, the Christian Crusades, Boko Haram in Nigeria, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, I read an article which was released by the BBC in May of this year which said that it's estimated that one in three people suffer from religious persecution with Christians being the most persecuted religious group. So much for the fairy story idea that Jesus was coming to bring peace. There doesn't seem to be much peace in the world today when we read the news. There are many of us here this morning who may well be experiencing the pain of family division due to differing views on Christianity, and I think it must be very difficult to be the only Christian in a relationship or a family, and I imagine at times it would feel easier to go the other way, to conform to what the other person or people want to believe in, to stop all the questioning and the arguments. Equally, it can't be easy to be a Christian when all of your friends at work or college or your colleagues are all non-Christians and they fail to understand why you believe what you believe, why you want to act the way you do, why you won't do certain things that seem totally normal to them or say things they would say without even blinking. And I think of my own work situation where I am probably the only Christian, well, there's one other Christian, but I'm the main Christian in the office. They swear without even thinking about it. But if I open my mouth and say even the slightest cross word or get slightly annoyed with somebody, they'll say to me, Sue, you're meant to be a Christian. How can you say that? It doesn't make sense to me. At times I think it might be prudent to say being a Christian might seem like the hardest thing. Definitely not a fairy story more like a horror story at times or a suspense thriller, being apprehensive, not knowing what is round the corner, full of confrontation, conflict and stress. I found a definition for confrontation that said, confrontation means to bring face-to-face a person or persons into a revelation or truth. And confrontation in a Christian's life is real. Those that live for Christ will be by their very conduct conduct causing confrontation. And confrontation means stress. So does this all sound like too much to put up with? A diamond. Have you ever thought about how a diamond is formed? When it's broken down into its basic component, it's made of carbon, which is a black and powdery compound, that has quite a few uses, like graphite in pencils we draw with, charcoal for our barbecues, or fuel. However, if that same carbon, when it's underground, is exposed to high temperatures and incredible stress or pressure over a prolonged period of time, it undergoes a miraculous change. It's formed into a diamond. And a diamond is one of the hardest substances known to man. It has many uses and is an object of great beauty, and also of great value. If that diamond hadn't undergone the stress that it did, it would still be a lump of carbon. Useful, but not as exciting. Not as resistant, not as desirable, not as beautiful or valuable. So, I wonder if perhaps we could compare our own lives to that diamond. If so, then stress may be good and pressure could be embraced as it could help to form us into the person God intended us to be. One who's willing to sacrifice a comfortable, easy life to follow Him. One who's willing to put Him before everything else, no matter the consequences, be it hardship alienation, being different to other people, or having to give up things we really desire? Do we want to be like the great Christian examples, like the apostles, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Florence Nightingale or Desmond Tutu, or even like Jesus Christ himself? Yes, being a Christian might be really hard at times. We'd all prefer a fairy tale life with a prince, a princess, or a knight in shining armor coming to rescue us, giving us our happily ever after. But dare I suggest that even though we might not come across them in our lives, the greatest prince, knight, or king is waiting for us at our end? God, heaven, and eternal life. Is the happily ever after that we can fix our eyes on as we go through the story of our lives? Something to think on in this coming week.
2: What's your story? Let's just take a moment of quiet now. (laughs) The author of my hope is writing the greatest story ever told and we are characters in that story. And he's writing individual stories for each one of us. What might be the next chapter in your story? Just know that he walks with you. And if you would like someone to pray with you at the end of the service, do take that opportunity.